Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, I'm Helen Arnie. I'm Steve Mould. I'm Matt Parker, and this is a podcast of unnecessary detail. Yes, if you are here for the podcast, that is great. But if you're here for the detail, that's even better. This time, we are talking tables. Literally, I'm talking about times tables. Yeah, I'm taking on the periodic table. And I've got a finite dog table. A dog table. A finite dog table. (laughs) And it's exactly what you think it is. Yeah. I have no idea what I think that is. Uh, so, so let's find out. Matt, what is on your table? I have a fun fact I saw online that in the US, you're not allowed to have more than 37 dogs that all have the same name. You're what? not allowed to... <laughs> yeah. So what? you can name 37 dogs like, you know... Uh, Steve. Steve. Hypothetically, Steve, yes. But if you go to name your 38th dog Steve, you're not allowed to. But you In don't what? have to own all these dogs yourself, right? These no, are, this, anyone. So this is anyone. A, some kind of catalogue. A table. A table of a dogs. A table of dogs. So hold on. There are only 37 dogs called Rex in America. That's the claim. And it's pretty much true. So I, I decided to dig into this. It's the American Kennel Club who are in charge of keeping the massive table of all the dogs that are of different breeds. And they have the ruling that they will not allow more than 37 people to all name their dog of the same breed the same name. Oh. So this is by breed. So if you've got a boxer or, you know, um, Labrador and you go, I want to name my Labrador Steve. And they're like, I'm very sorry. There are 37 other people in the United States who have all registered a Labrador with us all named Steve, and you're the 38th, which we don't allow. But if they want to register, they have to pay money. So theoretically, there are more dogs called Steve out there, but they're not registered in this organisation. It's not against the law. <laughs> so if you name your dog Steve, you're not going to get a knock on the door. It's the police. 37 people already named their dog Steve. You're in trouble. Can I just say, Steve is not a dog's name. <laughs> I just make that clear. <laughs> you suggested it as an example. So that's what we're running with. So what it turns out is this kennel club who are like, we're in charge of the dog names. Just everyone register your dog with us. And it does cost $25 a go to register your dog. So you got to be serious. Oh, I wouldn't bother registering a dog called Steve for $25. It would be (laughs) Princess Steve at the very least. 
Well, this is part of it, right? Because if you have a more complicated name, you're fine. Because if yeah. no one else has it. But if two people wanted to register, let's say, a golden retriever uh-huh. named Steve. That's my spirit animal. They okay. Exactly. I looked at you and just golden retriever yeah. came to mind. When they go in the database, the American Kennel Club are like, oh, how are we going to tell these apart? And so they give all the dogs, which are the same breed and the same name, a number. And they write that number down in Roman numerals. And when they're putting it into, I don't know, I guess index cards or however they used to do this, they only had six spaces for the Roman numerals for the dog number. And if you start counting from one and you go up sequentially, the biggest number you can get to in Roman numerals in six spaces is 37. If you want 38, you need a seventh place. So this whole rule is because of the way they set up their database, the way they logged dogs on a table in the first place. How did I know that your table will be a spreadsheet? (laughs) Everything's a spreadsheet. (laughs) And what I love is they've picked one one of the least efficient ways of writing down the numbers. If they just use normal digits... Six digits, you're going to get up to a million. I think there's something about dog breeders and dog owners. Is They also come in lineages, you know, so lots of dogs do have the same name because it shows that their pedigree has come from a certain dog, right? So there are loads of dogs that are Bootsy, Van Rudolph V, and that's a dog breeding thing, right? And they want to make sure they're all different and that their prize-winning dog doesn't have its name stolen by someone else. Exactly. And I guess it sounds more regal or something to use Roman numerals. But this led me down the rabbit hole of what happens if you use Roman numerals as a form of data storage? Because it's not efficient. Like, it's not like a positional counting system where we have a units column, a tens column, a hundreds column, and so on. That's what we've got now, is it? Normal, yeah, normal. So if you see 37 written down, you go, oh, that's three tens, seven units. Whereas in Roman numerals, an I is always one. A V is always five. X is always 10. C is always 100, and so on. And the only variation you get in Roman numerals is if you put them out of order, they become negative. So if you wanted to write uh, six, you'd write V and then I, so that they're descending down. So you add them. That's a five and a one is six. But if you want to write down, let's say nine, you'd put an I first, then an X. So now the small one's first where it shouldn't be, becomes a negative one. So one off the X, which is 10, that gives you nine. So it's this weird system where every character always has the same absolute value, but it's positive or negative depending on if it's in sequence or not. That's not the traditional way of describing it. That's how I understand it. If you are allowed gaps, there are actually 1,308 distinct numbers which fit in six or fewer characters. Right. But they they want to go in order for some reason. And when they hit 38, so for 30, that's XXX. And then for eight is, oh, so it's going to be five, six, seven, eight, VII. I, and that's seven characters. If you allow yourself seven characters, then you run out of space at uh, 87. That's the biggest number you can have. Okay, 87, 87. Steve. Yep. Right. If you're allowed eight characters, you run out at 187. Okay. If you've got nine characters, it's 287. There's oh, a pattern here. What? 10 characters, 387. 11 characters, 887. It's always the eights. It's eights. That's the problem. Because they're long, because it's V-I-I-I. Yeah. So that's like the, a really long string. I was a bit annoyed that they don't, because you could have more than one in a negative position. So eight, instead of being V-I-I-I, could just be I-I-X. 
for take two off ten. Ooh. But that's not how That's it not worked. how Romans did it, or that's you're, not what the rules are. You're you're suggesting a, a an overhaul of the Roman numeral system. <laughs> you, there are several ways I'd overhaul which it. Which seems really relevant to today's society. <laughs> you just Well, hey, it's a problem here. If you just allowed more than one character to be negative, that's the same. You could count up to 132 using okay. just six characters in Roman numerals in sequence starting at one. But Apparently, no. Okay, you know what? I'm bringing up the database. We're going to see if we can well, find you can actually Steve. look. You can search the American Kennel... Uh, what is it? The American Kennel... The American Kennel Club. American Kennel Club. .org. I'm on their dog search system. Oh. So, uh, should we look up a Steve? Yeah. Steve. Oh, Steve, what breed are you? Are you, are you a golden retriever? I am a golden retriever, okay, yes. Done. So... What, what's the betting that there are 37 Steves already? Oh, there's bound to be. There oh. are not 37... <gasps> Golden Retriever Steves. There are 10. Wow. So if you wanted to join this list, Steve, you'd have to be Steve XI. <laughs> Classy. Hold on a second. Is that in perpetuity? So what if a Steve dies? It just says they permit 37 dogs of each breed to have the same name. It then says name choices are limited to 50 characters. And that's interesting because that's another limit. Because if mm. the number is limited to six characters, we're like, oh, it runs out at 37. When will the names run out? Because they're limited to 50 characters. In fact, you have to pay more if you go over 36. So you're allowed... How much do you have to pay? A $10 fee if you want more than 36 characters. I don't know. Maybe they got to stick two cards together. I have no idea what kind of a system they're running. That, it's just a, it's a money grab, isn't it? It's it really a gouge. Is. These, these a people are unbelievable. Pedigree premium, surely, because all the pedigree premium. dogs have really, really long names. They there's do. a correlation between wealth of owner and length of dog name. Oh, that would be a good graph. So I have checked out all the conditions. You're only allowed the standard English alphabet. It's in America. You're allowed spaces, apostrophes, and dashes, like a hyphen, but they all count towards your 50-character limit. And you, you don't get upper or lower case, you don't get like umlauts or any interesting characters. And there are a few restrictions. So you're not allowed to put in something that's used in a dog show. So you can't call your dog Champion Steve. Right. Or and, Best in Show. Or Best in Show Steve. <laughs> exactly. Oh, you're not allowed any obscenities or words that are derogatory towards oh. any race, creed or nationality. There you are, nothing offensive. You're not allowed any kind of breeding names. You can't put in male, stud, bitch. I mean, okay, that's, there's two reasons why you're not allowed that word. Uh, damn. I wonder what that means. Oh. Eh, anyway. Uh, so you know those words. You know that just call it a breed name. So you can't have Golden Retriever, the Golden Retriever, as self-referentially pleasing as that would be. And you are allowed normal numbers. So zero through nine. So actually, oh. you could be Steve 2000, the third. <laughs> Look it up. Is there a Steve 2000? Is there a Steve? Come on. Okay, hang on. Is there a Steve, Steve 2000? 2000? Error. We are sorry, but we were unable to locate your dog for one or more of the following reasons. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay, so I actually double checked. If you can have 39 different characters in 50 spaces, the total number of possibilities of all names for dogs is about 3.6 times 10 to the 79. Which is a big number. <laughs> That's 36 with 
78 zeros after it. Correct. That's like an astronomically big number. That's that's the that's nearing or might be bigger than the number of atoms in the observable universe. It's within the range of estimates of how many atoms there are. It's either a bigger number or it's slightly smaller. Physicists argue about this, but it, it's on that kind of size. So what that means is while the six digits you get for the Roman numerals for the number of your dog cap out at a value of 37, the 50 characters allowed for the name has enough possibilities that you could name everything in the observable universe. (laughs) Everything could have a name and it would still fit in the American Kennel Club database. I love the the fact that they've woefully underpowered one data bit and then the other one's way bigger than... I mean, most of those won't make sense, but that's crazy. This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. I want to talk about times tables. I hate times tables. Oh, wow. This is a table of hate. It is. You hate yeah. times tables. You hate multiplication. No, it's not that. <laughs> okay, so what it is, and it's interesting. I mean, maybe that's not controversial to say I hate times tables. Probably a lot of people didn't enjoy doing times tables at school. I don't think people are passionate about it. Yeah, and maybe even if you don't like times tables, you might think, well, yeah, no, but they are important and you should be doing them. I would argue that that's not the case. Whoa. Wow. So times tables is a memory exercise that you do at school where you memorize the answers to a whole load of multiplication questions. And it's basically all the numbers up to 12. So two twos are four. One seven is seven. Two sevens are 14. Three sevens are 21. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've we've all done that. You're not saying actual numbers there, Steve. So I think I've isolated your problem. Oh. (laughs) But also, so in Australia, this was an early form of like... Torture. Public humiliation. Uh, like, okay, you know, yeah. I remember we had to go up the front of the class and we'd be quizzed on these things. And there was oh. all sorts of ways to, you know, use peer pressure to make sure you learn your times tables. That's so interesting because my two older sisters mm-hmm. used to learn their timetables and I went to a different primary school from them and mine was more progressive and you didn't have to learn their times tables which is maybe why I am less bothered about times yeah. tables in a way that you are I mean I didn't yeah. like them but I'm not discussing banning them as an adult on a podcast so. <laughs> okay so full disclosure I'm dyslexic so that may tarnish my opinion I think it makes you uniquely qualified yeah, yeah. okay that's why I like to look at it so dyslexia there's maybe misconceptions about it. It's a, a dyslexia is kind of a description of a set of symptoms more than anything else. So it's not like a diagnosis, like a you know, if you've got a, a viral infection, for example, you've got this particular virus and these are the symptoms. You it's, don't catch dyslexia. Yeah, but also it's not like necessarily a specific genetic disease either. It's like these are your symptoms. If you have these symptoms, then we say you're dyslexic. From whatever cause. From whatever cause. Mm-hmm. Um, an educational psychologist once described it as if you've got a spiky profile. Uh, like, it, what? So like that... you've got a big nose? It's because he's still got hair. <laughs> oh, Matt, you have such a smooth profile. I have a very smooth profile. <laughs> um, no, so basically, if you know, you do a whole suite of tests you know, you test your um, reading comprehension, reading speed, spelling, mathematics, problem solving, uh, logic and reasoning, all these sorts of different tests. And, you know, a, a normal person might have just average marks on all those or quite level, right? Either all really high or really low or, you know, somewhere in between. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. A spiky profile is when maybe you're high in lots of them, but super low in, in one or two. Oh. 
Oh. It says it's spiking downwards, I suppose. Oh, that's a better definition of dyslexia yeah. because it's not just about, you know, for instance, not being able to read the word dyslexia, which is <laughs> the, the that's classic. Ironic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the thing. The way I'm dyslexic, one of the symptoms is I'm really bad at memorizing things by rote. So oh. I can learn things if there's a logic to it or a reason to it. But um, and, and here's the thing. My brain is so bad at that particular skill, learning by rote, that it didn't even occur to me that that's what people were doing with the times tables. Like, that's what you're supposed to do. You're just supposed to know it by memory. You didn't even realize there was the feature huh? where you just store data randomly and then recall Absolutely it. Absolutely not. And at some point in the future, you go, What was five, that thing I remembered? Yeah. Five, eight to 40. You just remember it. You yeah, no, that's, that's not what I thought was happening. What were you doing? I was getting really good at working it out quickly in my head and actually I got pretty good at it at the time I didn't think I was very good because everyone else was still really much quicker than me <laughs> because they were recalling it yeah and I didn't know they were doing that and it was only when I f figured that out like when I when I worked out that's what was going on oh you're supposed to memorize it and that's what other people are doing it was an amazing relief to me but here's the thing here's why I think they're bad certainly for me and I think possibly for other people as well, is that if you tell people, look, this is the first thing you're going to do in mathematics, or one of the first things you're going to do in mathematics is memorize this list of things. You're telling people this is what mathematics is. And by the way, it's super boring. <laughs> yeah, it's super boring. Yeah. You know, and, I can't argue with that. And people who are good at that will go, oh, great, I'm good at maths. And then later on, they might struggle when actual problem solving comes into it. And so you, you, you get this disparity of, you know, initial skill or whatever. But whereas the way I was doing it, I learned all these tricks and I was looking for patterns and solving puzzles and stuff like that. And that kind of developed that part of my brain. And I really enjoyed that, actually, like finding little tricks and stuff. Like, for example, um, if you want to multiply something by eight, you just double it three times. Which is oh. insightful. It's insightful. It tells you something about the structure of numbers and the, and, and the nature of multiplication and that sort of so thing. So if I said uh, six sevens. Six sevens. Well, okay, so that's a tricky one. Six is difficult. I, normally what I would do is triple it and then double it. Oh, okay. Because tripling isn't so hard. Well, because I'm somewhere between you because I hated times tables as, as a student because I was terrible at just memorizing them and don't get me wrong i do memorize ridiculous things for the sake of it let's not pull on that thread <laughs> however when i was at school I, I was like one of the worst students in the class for doing times tables but i would do a mishmash of memorizing some and using patterns for other ones so six i would just double the three times table so to this day i would have to go oh double 21 to give me 42 to be oh, able nice. to do that uh, because that's weird because i'm doing it differently what when you, you say when you say six times seven i'm doing five times seven plus another seven. Oh, that's Ooh. nice so if you want to multiply a two-digit number by 11 for example then you end up with a three-digit number you put um the first digit uh, at the front in the hundreds column the last digit at the end in the units column and then you add the two numbers together and you put that in the middle. Again, that's like kind of obscuring what's going on. But so when I was doing 11 in my head at school, I would just multiply by 10 and then add, add one, one lot. That 11 one works easily for things like uh, 24 it would be 264. Yeah. But if it's too big, if it's like 68, you've got a rollover. You do. So now it's 700. And forty-eight. Yeah, you have. But a still, carry. it works. It's quicker. You, but, you, you, have a but, you know, I think I, I think I was partially. That's why I was bad at 
multiplication, I was partially doing the Steve technique. Yeah. I'd memorize some, and then I was way more excited about finding the patterns and doing it that way, which so, is slow. So the sad thing for me is, like, I thought I was bad at maths. And, you know, because I wasn't as good as other people at my times tables. And it was only when I worked out what was going on that I thought, like, actually, yeah, I enjoy this. I enjoy the process of finding patterns and stuff, which, you know, later on, I discovered actually that's what mathematics is, is about finding patterns and solving puzzles. And you could argue that memorizing times tables is probably the best thing for the average student. And I'm not the average student, which is why it didn't work for me. But I would argue that if you present memorization of times tables to kids and say this is mathematics, then that's a real problem. Okay, here's an argument for times tables. Oh, this is I, oh, oh, things are going to get not tested be now. Easy. <laughs> Steve versus so, Matt. <laughs> and this is coming from a place of someone who didn't enjoy it. It's removing a barrier to entry for other mathematics because there's so many things in maths when you're a student where being able to multiply quickly and easily means you can do more interesting maths problems and maths working out. Whereas a lot of students come unstuck with the fiddly pointless multiplication. I would now argue that we've got calculators. So actually that argument's a bit more null and void than it mm -hmm. might have once been but also at the time back in the day that's a very good life skill to be able to do quick mental arithmetic to multiply and the quickest way of doing it is rote learning which the average student is fine with but i think it was just trying to get students so they're more comfortable and fluent with some basic mathematical operations so that they're not bogged down doing later maths and rote learning times table that just solves so many problems later on but you're right, it, it's, yeah. it, it, maths can very easily be very boring. I suppose the point is maybe do both, because like, yeah. let's call it the mold method. Um, <laughs> wow. Oh, come on. I don't know why you're laughing. It's a really good idea. It's uh, called the Steve technique. The Steve technique is it works beyond 12. So you memorize the times table up to 12, and if all you're doing is memorizing, then that's all you've got. Oh, then you get really stuffed at 13, 14, yeah. 25. You've got no coping strategies after 12. Yeah. yeah, I remember learning the 25 times table. I'm not so good at it nowadays, but I learned it because it was our family tradition when you get home from school to watch Countdown. And there you go. if your vocabulary is not very good, then the numbers round is where you can really excel. It's your time to shine. And then <laughs> a couple of years after I left university, I don't know if you know this about me, uh, I auditioned to replace Carol Vorderman on Countdown. Oh. Yeah. You wanted to be the new Carol Vorderman. Yeah, they did the star search for the new Carol Vorderman. That ended up giving the job to Rachel Riley, of course. Oh, um, of course. You know, fantastic, wonderful. She's brilliant. But I got down apparently to the last 10 people. Wow. Uh, no, I was so close. I was so close. And that was because I spent my entire childhood training myself on the 25, 75 times table, being able to do these conundrums. For our non-British listeners, what is Countdown? It is a, a television show that is on in the afternoon. It's a very gentle British kind of quiz show where two people compete to solve anagrams with letters and a number problem where they're given a bunch of numbers and they have to reach a target. It's not just someone counting down. No. I think they're very clear. It's for anagram and number fans. Exactly. And it, it's an, a delightful, inoffensive afternoon treat. Okay, so I think there might be a point here where memorizing in maths is fine if it's for a reason. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So we all know how Steve feels about that kind of table, but I uh, want to talk about a table that I absolutely love and so do many other people, not just me. Um, I have a thing about the periodic table. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know. Well known, well documented. Exactly. I own a load of stuff with periodic tables on. I've got a dress, a skirt. Uh, they're all completely non-iron, by the way, apart from a little tiny square. <laughs> of iron. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the pinnacle of my periodic table collection is the fact that I have learnt the periodic table in the form of Tom Lehrer's Elements song, right? which is the very famous song set to a tune by Gilbert Sullivan or Sullivan, this is a podcast of unnecessary detail. You need to know that it was Sullivan, not Gilbert and Sullivan who wrote the tune. Uh, and uh, Tom Lehrer, this Harvard mathematician, came up with a song that has 102 elements of the periodic table. Not in periodic table order, I hasten to add, uh, but in rhyming order. That's worse yeah. than that's worse <laughs> than the Times tables. At least the say. Times tables had a point. You just memorised them in some arbitrary order yeah. that someone at Harvard came up with. Yeah. But it's the most joyful thing to sing. And this song is now lodged permanently in my memory. And I've actually finished it off because I said 102 elements. In the original song, I've added the 16 that were discovered since then. And I think at the end of this podcast, we've got a recording of me singing the whole thing. So you can use that to learn it. And were you the it first yourself. person to put in all the new ones? That I know of, yeah. Channel 4 commissioned me to write a final verse with all nice. the final 16 in because it was the day that they officially announced the new 
names and that was back in 2016. And you're on the news. Yeah, I was on the singing news. Singing the new elements. Does that mean you got to decide the new arbitrary but slightly rhyming order? Yes. That's and I've amazing. changed it since then because the, oh. the order I did that day wasn't as good as suboptimal yeah i've i've improved it what is it because you're thinking about how it's going to scan and how many syllables and all that sort of thing yeah also because um one of the new four elements uh, the ones that people listening might not be familiar with unless you're an element fan like me uh they're muscovium nihonium organison and tennessine so three of them are named after places moscow japan nihonium nihon tennessee Tennessine and Oganesson, which is named after Yuri Oganesian, who discovered many of these super oh. heavy elements, right? He's one of the only people who's ever had an element named after him while he's still alive. Wow. Yeah, only two people have had that honor, the other being Glenn Seaborg. And uh, the reason I've changed it is when I do it live, quite often I get a massive cheer on Tennessine because there's Americans, Americans in the audience. <laughs> oh. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to hoop and a holler. You have to pause for them chanting USA. It takes a while. USA. Yeah. Let that die down. And we, when we did this song in Alabama, we went to do some shows in Alabama. Tennessee's next door, but they still yeah. gave it as big so a cheer as if did. I'd said Alabama. Yeah. But there is a better version of the Elements song that no. kids know. What? ASAP Science on YouTube, brilliant channel, have done a version where all of the elements are sung in periodic table order. Ah, that's bad. Oh, that's good. It goes something like hydrogen and helium and lithium, beryllium, boron carbon, blah, 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 nitrogen, blah, blah, blah. You get the idea. It's useful. Yeah. It's like the equivalent of learning the... Times tables. Times table. I did memorize all the atomic weights in order. (laughs) Yeah, you stupid idiot. It's just the numbers. It's the numbers for anyone who's wondering. I just learnt the numbers in order. I was going to say, when you're talking about memorizing things in an arbitrary order, on my list of pointless things to learn is the first 100 numbers in alphabetical order. Oh, my God. Like, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be amazing that you can count to 100 in alphabetical order? How would that start? What would it look like? It it starts... I've got got a list here. Uh, It starts eight... That's the first one. Okay. Eight. It's just the first 100. 18, 80, 88. And any guesses for the last one? Uh, Second last one is two. The last one is zero. Uh, Thank you very much. First, I wouldn't have first count- 100. <laughs> I wouldn't have counted. I did zero to 99. <laughs> That's it's my arbitrary order. I choose the rules. <laughs> that is absolutely horrific. So there's all these names of elements, uh, but there's also names of elements that, pe- that never got used because um, they were ludicrous jokes by physicists. So it's like if you were trying to name a, a ship yeah, and you opened it up to the internet, there'd be loads of attempted names. It's not quite like that. It's like loads of people have made ships. And they realize and, it's the same ship. Yeah, they've all given it different names. And, and only one name can Only one name can supreme. win. Thank gotcha. God there isn't an yeah. element McElementy face. <laughs> <laughs> so, so on the periodic table, only elements below number 92, uranium, are naturally occurring. Everything else has to be either synthesized in a laboratory or discovered in the aftermath of an atomic bomb. In this case, you're defining naturally occurring as blowing out of a supernova. On Earth already. Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah. yeah. So, so the energy required to make it happens at some point or there's some process by which it's it's manufactured in our universe and it's stable enough that it has stable enough that all it's all already completely it's decayed. landed on the earth and a 
chemist has picked it up and gone, hey, look at this. Yeah, check it out. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and then realized it's uranium and gone, I think I'll put, I'll that, put down. that down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> so 1960s, Russia had discovered loads of elements. America had discovered loads of elements. They had discovered the same elements. They weren't talking much then, were they? Yeah, they were not chatting. And probably their research into nuclear physics was not top of their share list. Oh, no. Yeah, because a lot <laughs> of this was offshoots of the nuclear weapons programs. And that's where a lot of these elements were found. There's one element that they proposed to be called Los Allium, which is element 99, which was later named Einsteinium, after the Los Alamos uh, research place. Yeah. 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 Right? So all of these elements were being discovered. But between the 1960s and 1990s, Russia really? used one set of names for these new elements. America used another set of names. That's going to cause problems. The Europeans were like doing their own thing as well. Wow. Don't, they don't even count in this story. Um, I want to use some of these old names. Yeah. So the American names for elements 101 to 106. Mendelevium, after Dimitri Mendeleev. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Nobelium, I guess after like... Nobel. Nobel. Uh, Laurentium, uh, which is after L- oh, yeah. Lawrence. Yeah. Uh, Rutherfordium, after the, phys- the Manchester physicist who discovered yeah, the structure of the yeah, atom. Yeah. Right? Harnium, after Otto Hahn. We'll get back to him later. And Seaborgium, who's Glenn Seaborg, who's the only uh, living person who's at the time who had an element named after them. The Russians also wanted Rutherfordium, but they were using it for a different element. Oh, so the Americans on. used it for 104. The Russians used it for 103. <laughs> you see what a mess this is. So the Independent Council came in, right? The International Union of Pure and Applied Chemistry, who is still around now today, and together with the International Union of Pure and Applied Physics, decide the new element names. Oh, that is a council and a half. That's a, yeah. that's a council of councils. Yeah, it's really amazing. Um, that's a council. They, uh, between 1992 and 1997, suggested that Rutherfordium be used for element 106, which is a completely different one. So the Americans were like, what about 104? Russians were like, we're using it for 103. And uh, no, this no one gets said, their one. No, you're not having it. What about 106? Uh, it ended up being 104 for various reasons. What is that one that sounded like Helenarnium or something? Oh, Harnium. Yeah, that was a good one. That's Otto Hahn who discovered, co-discovered, I should point out, nuclear fission. So, I bet you're gutted oh. about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, because that element never got used. Yeah. Harnium, which is you're like you guys' your nickname element. for me. Yeah, Harney. <laughs> we haven't got time for Helen and yeah. Harney. Harney. That is the element that if it existed, it would be my name. I would have had HA. Problem is, Harnium eventually was given the name Meitnerium after Lisa Meitner, who was Otto Hahn's co-discoverer of nuclear fission, along with oh, wow. someone else as well, right? So Lisa Meitner, Otto Hahn, and this other Otto guy, they discovered nuclear fission between them. Who got a Nobel Prize? Not the woman. Yeah! <laughs> the correct answer is always not the woman. She didn't get a, the Nobel Prize. No prize. She did not share the Nobel Prize where the other two did. Wow. Right? What? But what a here's, jerk move. Here's the thing. The next element to be discovered is going to be really, really hard to discover. And there are groups in Japan, there are groups in Russia, there's teams in Germany. Uh, they're, they're working with scientists in the United States to find Element 119. Millions and millions of pounds. Is it its working title? Yeah, it's called Element 119. Or if you use the standard systematic naming convention, Ununenium. Well, slower, slower, slower. Ununenium. 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 So there's like an old system where like if it's element 101, it's un, and then one. zero, which is nil, nil. and then unium, which means one. So 101. Un, unilunium. And this one's 101. 
it, this is whatever unununo language it, is uno, for, <laughs> for one one nine. Yeah, so it's uh, so like Literally something like one o six would be unil hexium. So like hex is six, right? We all know that. So un un, which means one one, and then enium, which stands for nine. So ununenium, and my favourite one's one one one, which was called for a while. Unununium. Unununium. it wasn't. Unununium. It's ridiculous. Right. So 119 is going to be really, really hard to discover, partly because in order to prove that you've discovered an element, you actually have to show that you have made it. Not what they do at CERN, which is when they found the Higgs boson, just show that a Higgs boson decayed into something that you've seen. Physicists. We probably had one. Yeah. It left some of its stuff behind. The likelihood of it being that is very high. Yeah. Do you want we to are... see all our sigmas? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. We got five of them. We got Can't six of them. That. Can't do that with. You got uh, to Alice. actually have the element. You got to have it, even for a fraction of a second, right? Uh, so this is going to be really hard to create element one one nine, most mostly because the detectors they have are not able to detect it quickly enough before it decays into something else because it's super radioactive. It's super unstable. It's got like hundreds of protons and neutrons in the center it's incredibly heavy it's just absolutely ludicrous they're throwing massively radioactive particles at other really reactive particles in the hope that some chunk might fall off that is this element 119 it's it's absolutely ludicrous but when it comes to being named because of the transuranic debacle where they had to rename everything because the russians the americans weren't talking there is already a committee set up ready to name that Great. 119. It's already there. The first dibs goes to the discoverers. If they can't agree, then the committee gets to name it. So my mission now is to get onto that get committee. Get on that committee. <laughs> yeah. And Harnium could He's ride back on again. on the table. Does Harnium rhyme well? Is like a good rhyming word? Yeah, I think Harnium could definitely get in there. Oh, there's one major problem though. Once an element name has been adopted and used, even if it's not officially confirmed, you can't use it again. No. So, no, there'll wow. be no Harnium again. Oh. No. oh, there you go. Harnessine? Harnessine. Harnon. Harnon. <laughs> I'm going to have to wait till they discover another noble 119 gas. 119 will be Hanon. Yeah, no, it won't be, yeah. it won't be Hanon because only the noble gases oh, get to be Hanon. So, so it'll be like plus 18. It'll be 127 or something. You got a while. Oh, mate. Oh, they better get on with it. All right, that's all we have tabled for this episode. Thanks for listening. We also have a lot, a whole metric heap of extra show notes and links over at festivalofthespokennerd.com slash podcast, which, fun fact, is approximately 2.2 imperial heaps of links and extra show notes. <laughs> yeah, uh, we've included those Kennel Club rules in full that Matt mentioned. Uh, there's a link to the new ASAP Science periodic table song if you haven't heard that. And there is also me singing the elements on Channel 4 News because I just have to prove that it really did happen. Please review us on iTunes. It really makes a difference. And please, please do call it the mold method. That really helps me. Or just <laughs> let us know what you think on social media, for example, at FOTSN on Twitter or Festival of the Spoken Nerd on Facebook and Instagram. And you can find us individually on social media too. Or if you want to go old school, just email us podcast at festivalofthespokennerd.com. I mean, whenever I'm chunking, I'm like, sorry, everyone, I'm just having a little moment of mold method here. Now, if you want some more free stuff other than this high-quality podcast, of course, all of our YouTube channels are linked from festivalofthespokennerd.com or, you know, the rest of YouTube. 
that's free as well. You can also download all of Helen's songs for free from Bandcamp via festivalofthespokennerd.com slash shop or just keep listening to this podcast. Yes, uh, because I have a song at the end. It is a pretty special one. It's a version of Tom Lehrer's Element song, which I recorded with a full brass band. Uh, I did it to celebrate 150 years since Mendeleev came up with the periodic table. Huge thanks to the Royal Society of Chemistry and Ben Valsler, who made all of this happen. And there's Water Beach Brass as well. They're the band and their conductor, Andrew Kershaw were fantastic the original youtube video featuring comedians and scientists from all over the world is in the show notes but they've also very kindly let us put the audio at the end of this podcast so just keep listening after the credits and you will hear the elements with some added umpa. all right that's it bye bye bye, bye. A podcast of unnecessary detail is made by Festival of the Spoken Nerd. That's Helen Arney, Steve Mould, and this guy, Matt Parker. The music you're listening to is by Howard Carter. It's pretty good. Our design is by Adam Robinson. And the producer who produces this production is John Harvey. Thanks to you for listening. Antimony, arsenic, aluminum, selenium, and hydrogen, and oxygen, and nitrogen, and rhenium, and nickel, neodymium, neptunium, germanium, and iron, americium, ruthenium, uranium, europium, zirconium, lutetium, vanadium, and lanthanum, and osmium, and astatine, and radium, and golden protactinium, and indium, and gallium, and iodine, and thorium, and thulium, and thallium. There's yttrium, ytterbium, actinium, rubidium, and boron, gadolidium, niobium, iridium, and strontium, and silicon, and silver, and samarium, and bismuth, bromine, lithium, beryllium, and barium. There's holmium, and helium, and hafnium, and erbium, and phosphorus, and francium, and fluorine, and terbium, and manganese, and mercury, molybdenum, magnesium, dysprosium, and scandium, and cerium, and cesium, and lead, praseodymium, and platinum, plutonium, palladium, promethium, potassium, polonium, and tantalum, technetium, titanium, tellurium, and cadmium, and calcium, and chromium, and curium. There's sulfur, californium, and fermium, berkelium, and also mendelevium, einsteinium, nobelium, and argon, krypton, neon, radon, zin, and zinc, and rhodium, and chlorine, carbon, copper, copper, tungsten, tin, and sodium. But now... We've got Laurentium, Mitnerium, Dumstadium, Seaborgium, Brunt-Genium, and Dubnium, Fluorovium, and Borium, Copernicium, Livermorium, and Hassium, Rutherfordium, Oganesson, and Tennessine, Muscovium, Nihonium. Of course, more elements of the periodic table may yet be discovered, or more accurately synthesized for a fraction of a second in a laboratory. Um, don't worry, I've got that covered. I'd like to add those elements Which one day may be discovered But it took so long to learn this song I really can't be bothered (laughs) 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.